This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Have you ever looked back on something that you've done and gone, if I only knew what I know now, I would have done that thing a little bit differently? Well, I was thinking about that the other day about my jazz playing. If I know what I know now, would I do something completely different or have a different approach to learning jazz than I did when I first started learning it? Well, in today's episode, that's exactly what I'm going to do. We're going to build a time machine. I'm going to go back and I'm going to redo the way that I learned jazz and I'm going to take you along for the ride with me. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, He's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards. Help musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve, no matter what instrument you play. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thank you for being here. Do appreciate it. So, like I said, we're going to be building a time capsule, and I'm going to go back in time and... From my perspective now, with the knowledge I have about learning jazz, which includes thousands and thousands of hours of practice, hundreds of gigs, and having taught for over a decade, what would I do differently if today was day one, the day where I really started trying to learn how to play jazz? Now, this assumes that I already know how to play my instrument, uh, I already know the basics, I've already been exposed to jazz before, but what would I do in my daily, weekly, monthly practice? What would I really focus on? And I talked about in a handful of episodes ago, what if you had one thing that you could accomplish this month in your playing, that if you accomplish this one thing, it will make everything else unnecessary or so much easier? And so this kind of draws a bit on this concept. Like I'm always trying to look for what are the things that are truly going to move the needle in my jazz playing? What are the things that will remove the least amount of resistance so that I'm having the most amount of fun learning music and playing music, right? So I'm also coming from it from that perspective. And one thing I will say before I start going down the list of things that I would do if I was starting tomorrow, then I think it's important for you to understand that this is what I personally would do, right? And there's not a one-size-fits-all for everybody. Perhaps you would have a slightly different thing that you would do based on who you are individually as a musician. So I want you to keep that in mind. However, I want you to also remember that the things I'm about to tell you have worked for hundreds and hundreds of my students, have worked well for me, and in general are things that I've noticed that high-level musicians and professional jazz musicians have done and consistently do on a regular basis, all right? So let's jump into the first thing. So number one is I would learn 
a new jazz standard every single month. One new jazz standard every single month. My basis of all of my jazz studies is going to revolve around learning a jazz standard, right? It's it's not going to be about something that is not under that umbrella. Like everything that I do is going to be applied to a jazz standard. Now, why do I say that? So first of all, it kind of goes without saying that if you want to learn jazz, then learning the repertoire is hugely important. And usually when we talk about the challenges associated with jazz, we're usually referring to the concept of playing, comping, and improvising over top of the chord changes within jazz standards. So if that's the challenge, then that needs to be my sole focus, right? So that would be my goal is to learn one new jazz standard a month. Now, this differs greatly from my original approach, which was to literally learn three new jazz standards every single week. So it was this more is more approach, right? And that was greatly detrimental to me in some ways and very beneficial for me in other ways. But the way in which it was detrimental was I wasn't really getting to know the tunes I was learning very well. And there's only so many of them that were actually sticking with me, and I was only giving myself limited opportunities to draw as much information out as possible. Now, on the other hand, in the other side of the spectrum, there was a time where I would just focus on one jazz standard for a very long time and not pay too much attention to learning new tunes. And while that was also a good thing, the pitfall of doing that is I kind of never got on to the next lesson I needed to learn and to realize that every jazz standard usually has something to do with another one, right? So my philosophy is the more jazz standards you learn, the easier it gets because you're exposed to the same scenarios over and over and over again. But there has to be some sort of time frame associated with how you know when to move on to the next thing. And in my personal opinion, 30, 31 days or a month is a good amount of time to allow yourself to really get to know a tune digest a tune, even if you don't have a ton of time to practice, even just getting the bare minimums down, like learning the melody, learning the chords, and getting some experience with improvising over it, like a month is a good period of time. And not to say that you won't continue to study it or review it or play it, like absolutely not saying that at all. I'm just saying giving that jazz standard your sole focus for one month. So that's the first thing I would do based on some of the experiences I've had in the past that I found didn't have the net benefit that I wanted to have. So first and foremost, number one, I'm learning a new jazz standard every single month and we're building this time frame and we're building everything else we're going to practice around that one jazz standard. One more thing before I move on to number two, and that is another big thing about having the one jazz standard a month, and this is really important. It establishes a measurable goal. It establishes a measurable goal. And one thing that I noticed for myself is when I didn't have a constant project to work on that had a start time and an end time, and something that I could walk away with feeling like I accomplished, I easily got demotivated, right? It 
felt like a never-ending game because ultimately learning music, any kind of music, but especially jazz, is this never-ending journey. There's always another level or a new thing to explore. So having that goal that is tangible and attainable, that's what's going to keep you motivated long-term and that's what's going to help you avoid burnout and ultimately have the most fun and improve faster. Okay, so number two is on the side, I would be working on making sure I can play the blues in all 12 keys. So perhaps in my year one, right, my year one is I'm going to learn 12 jazz standards, right, 12 jazz standards in a year because I'm learning one a month. But the blues is something that if you're really mastering the blues and you're able to play it, it just has so many benefits as far as jazz goes, improvising, and it translates to playing all other jazz standards because it has all these very common chord progressions that do exist within it. The blues is kind of like the cornerstone of jazz, and it's a short form to really digest and inevitably, if you ever go play at a jam session or perhaps even a gig, you're going to have to play a blues because that is very common to play a blues in jazz, okay? So the reason I'll be doing this on the side is because once you learn a jazz blues in one key, like let's just say I never knew a jazz blues in year one, well, it, it'll take me a little bit of extra effort within that first month to learn the jazz blues, a little extra practice time, right? But once I get that down and I practiced it a little bit, all I have to really do after that for the next 11 months is master the art of transposition, right? So master the art of going, okay, so that's a C blues, what's an F blues, right? But once I understand the formula of the chords, one, four, five, right, with some extras like a one, six, two, five, a one, four, and a sharp four diminished, as is a jazz blues, then I can kind of start filling in the blanks. So there's kind of two things that are happening there in my year one is like one, I'm really starting to master this jazz blues, but just one a month, right, in a different key to get used to playing the blues. But two, I'm getting good at transposing and playing in all 12 keys, which is going to pay dividends for me throughout that first year, but especially in year two, the fact that I have explored all 12 keys on my instrument using this 12-bar framework, it's going to really help speed up my progress, especially as I continue learning more jazz standards and trying to improve my improvisation and my jazz language. Like This is just going to give me a massive advantage. And while when I did start learning how to play jazz, naturally the blues was involved. I don't think I really did a deep dive study into blues until much later when I started realizing that it was important and being told by other people that it was important. So the blues in all 12 keys is definitely going to be a part of my monthly study, at least for year one right? And that will kind of accompany along with learning a new jazz standard every single month, okay? So number one and two are based around repertoire, okay? Let's kind of step back for a second, though, and ask ourselves, what about practicing? Like, how much would I practice? Knowing what I know now, 
how much would I tell myself or start over again practicing? So to give you a little bit uh, of background, I had a lot of different experiences with the amount of time I was practicing and the frequency in which I was practicing. But ultimately, I was a very big practicer. And again, this is a time period of my life that probably most of you listening right now are not even close to being a part of. And that was you know, the very end of high school. Um, but even before I started getting into jazz, like I, I was a big practicer practicing, you know, prog rock and prog metal stuff and classic rock stuff, right? I was practicing my guitar quite frequently, but really that really ramped up when I started studying jazz. Like, so we're at one point I'm practicing five, six hours a day, right? You know, I mean, the peak being like one day I practiced 10 hours, which is kind of crazy, And I sustained that actually for a long period of time, like years and, you know, with some dips and highs and all of that. Um, However, personally, I would not practice that often uh, or sorry, that for that long anymore. Okay. So if I were to go back and do it all again, I would make a rule that was, I won't practice for more than two hours a day. And when I say that, I don't want anyone uh, who's listening right now who doesn't have two hours a day, which is quite a few people do not have two hours a day to practice, including myself now. I'll raise my hand. I don't want people to think like, oh, wow, so I have to practice for two hours a day. No, not at all. I'm just saying that the maximum amount I would practice is two hours a day. And there's a few reasons for that because A, just in my experience, I felt that After a certain amount of practice time, my focus would really shift and not really be in it anymore, right? I would just be noodling at some point or moving to something else, or my brain was just getting tired. And there is actually some research to back that up, research that suggests that, you know, a human kind of loses that deep focus after around that period of time, right? Two hours, right? That's kind of the peak of the ability for an average human to focus, right? So for me, like if I'm not focused and I'm not aiming at anything, then probably that's not really good time spent. So especially if, you know, I'm not in that same period of time in my life where I had all that excess time, like I really need to be concerned about making sure that I'm getting the best bang for my buck time-wise, right? So I wouldn't practice for more than two hours a day. Um, Now, if that's only one hour a day, completely fine. Frequency is another thing to consider as well. I probably wouldn't practice every single day either. Although conventional wisdom would say, hey, consistency like every day is a great habit. And that absolutely is. It probably if you are able to consistently practice every single day, then it will have some benefits for you, right? It absolutely will have some benefits for you. Um, However, I do think that I would probably end up practicing for five days a week would probably be my ideal within the first year, right? In the first year, I really want to be engaged quite a bit. So I think it's important to have a few days off there because sometimes you just need your brain to have some space to think and your subconscious to digest some of the material that you've been working on. And when you're just kind of barraging your brain with so much stuff, 
uh, especially like when you're learning a new skill. I, I find personally for myself that it can be a little bit overwhelming and it can kind of clog up everything up there. And so having some time to to take off would be important. And I always use this example is, you know, sometimes when I go out on a vacation, for example, for two weeks and I haven't really touched my guitar um, or played music at all. When I get back to the instrument, somehow everything seems so fresh and alive, right? Versus when you're so thick into the weeds, it's difficult to see through everything, right? So if you can step out of that for a second and then come back to it, um, somehow you're able to problem solve through those little details a lot easier, right? So that's number three, practice time. I would probably not practice for more than two hours a day and five days a week is what I would go for, okay? So the big lesson there, of course, just being like, Sometimes we don't need to do the more is more approach, right? Practicing a lot, yeah, absolutely. It does give you more opportunities to succeed, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the result you're going to get, okay? Okay, so number four, let's start now diving into what I'm gonna do with that jazz standard, right? Because the jazz standard, remember, like I said, that's kind of the big thing. That's like the main thing we're doing and everything we're doing is applying it to that jazz standard. I mean, again, that's what I would do if I were to start over today. So the first thing that I would do is I would mostly just focus uh, as far as theory goes. So we're talking about theory today. I would mostly just focus on chord tones, okay? Just chord tones. Um, and I suppose not just chord tones, but yes, knowing all the chord tones within the chord progression of the jazz standard I'm learning, being able to map them out. Um, I always like to map them out using voice leading. So like, for example, going up one chord and then connecting it and going down the next, right? Just so that you know how to do that. Like, you know what the chord tones are of each chord, but you also know how to connect them together because that's more along the lines of what's happening in improvisation versus like starting on the root and arpeggiating up every single chord. So I want to be gaining that skill of figuring out voice leading because voice leading is something important in jazz. But one thing I would also be really focusing on is how to resolve to chord tones, right? How to resolve to chord tones. Because honestly, when it comes to the intellectual side or the theoretical side of playing jazz like the how do you play jazz language really what the best jazz musicians are doing is they're resolving to chord tones in a variety of different ways sometimes they're going way outside of it like they're playing quote unquote all the wrong notes right so the chromatic outside of the key notes and they're finding creative resolutions to strong chord tones which help really lift the chord out, like help it jump out of the page at the listener and at yourself, right? So I would be like going, looking at one chord progression in the jazz standard. So like the two, five, one, that's the everywhere. You're going to see a two, five, one chord progression in uh, traditional jazz standards. So I'd be going like, oh, okay. So what's, what are the chord tones of those? Okay, great. What happens if I'm targeting the thirds of each chord, right? And how would I do that? Well, I could go chromatically from above and below. I could go diatonically through up a scale. I could 
play this melody. I could hit every single altered extension in the dominant seventh chord and still resolve to the major third of the one chord, right? So really, it's just about kind of figuring out and exploring and experimenting. So I would spend a lot of time with that, just like chord tones, getting those down. How can I resolve to them within a chord progression, right? Isolating the chord progressions rather than looking at the tune as a holistic piece, really breaking it down that way. But if I'm going to be focusing on any theory, because right there's a ton of theory that I remember when I was starting out, I was being exposed to like, here's the melodic minor, like play melodic minor half a step up, right? And here, here's another way you can use the melodic minor over a dominant seventh chord. And um, oh, but tritone substitution, that's one way to look at it. And, you know, here's these chord substitutions that you can start using, like, honestly, it gets super overwhelming. And so if I personally were to go back in year one, I would just be like, hey, let's just get these chord tones going really well. Okay, so that's theory. So that's number four. I'd be focusing on chord tones and resolving to chord tones. Number five, okay, now this has to do with learning jazz language. So number five, I would learn an etude or one chorus of a solo on the jazz standard that I'm learning that month, right? So I'd be like, hey, I'm learning all the things you are this month. Great. So let's find a solo that I like and let's learn one chorus of that solo during this month over top of that jazz standard so that I'm learning a new way of how this musician is actually going about navigating these chord changes, um, or an etude. An etude could just be like something like, for example, in our Inner Circle membership, um, we have an etude, which is basically just a composed solo to help you navigate the changes and different jazz language stuff over top of the jazz standard, right? So an etude is fine too, or a solo. Now, if I don't have time to learn an entire chorus, um, what I would just do instead is just a part of it. So just the A section, right? Or just, even if it's just eight bars, I just want to make sure that every single month associated with that jazz standard, I'm learning some jazz language and being exposed to some new ideas. So whether I'm actually um, able to analyze it and go, oh, this is exactly what they're doing. They're playing up the Dorian mode here and the arpeggio of the Mixolydian. And like that is like sort of secondary and not actually as important, but rather just simply getting my ears used to hearing those sounds and the muscle memory on my instrument. Uh, an important thing I'll add here is I wouldn't be just reading this out of a transcription book. I think it's really important that I would learn this by ear, okay? Personally, this is what I would do. I would learn that jazz solo by ear off of a recording, right? Um, and the reason being is because learning by ear is just going to give you that skill that you need to be building to be a great jazz improviser. And that is getting really good at hearing sounds and mimicking them on your instrument. And I always say that the secret to jazz improvisation is really simply marrying your ear to your muscle memory, right? So the more you exercise hearing and then playing or responding to something, 
the better you're going to be at jazz improvisation because we need that strong muscle memory that just like is naturally going to have your fingers playing things that you've learned. And we need that ability to hear so well that we can guide our fingers without having to think about it, right? The subconscious. But the only way to get there is to actively exercise that muscle. And so a great way, of course, is when you're learning the melody to the jazz standard, learn it by ear. If there's anything you do by ear, learn the melody. But I personally would also be doing the chorus of the solo or the etude by ear. Now, again, I mentioned earlier in the episode that like, I'm talking about what is good for me, like what I would do for myself. And a lot of our inner circle members, for example, like they do learn our etude that we study every single month, but they'll they'll learn it by reading, right? Which is also totally acceptable. That's totally fine. However, I always just say make sure you memorize it, right? Because again, the idea is not that we're reading musical language. That's exercising a different muscle. The idea is that we're internalizing musical information by again hearing it in our head and then associating it with our instrument and our muscle memory, right? So memorizing is important. And I don't mean memorizing forever and ever and ever and ever. I mean, like at least within a month, you're still able to recall that. And then if it starts fading away after that, that's fine because we're not concerned about ever playing a solo verbatim. We're concerned about slowly integrating these ideas and these sounds in our muscle memory and into our playing, right? So that things become more natural and we can navigate our instrument better. So... I'd be learning a new solo every single month by ear, uh, preferably. Okay. Um, the next thing I would be doing, this is number six. <laughs> number six. <laughs> number six is I would be practicing playing unaccompanied. Okay. So a lot of times when I was starting to play, um, I would be playing with other musicians like a piano player or a bass player. Um, because I happened to have like, I was going to, when I first started, I was like really going to this art school that was helping me have that connection to do that frequently. Um, but then of course there's backing tracks, which are totally fine, but you know, a lot of my time was spent practicing with backing tracks. And then eventually I hipped up and decided to go with the metronome a little bit as well to get that side of things going. But what I mean unaccompanied does it almost mean even without a metronome, but really just trying to practice getting an internal feel, right? Like being able to play the melody of the jazz standard, but just feeling the time by myself in my body, right? Or I'm a comper, so I have, I have a chordal instrument. So playing the chords and comping without a metronome or without a, any accompaniment to just help me develop that own internal time or even improvising. And seeing, can I hear the chord changes going by? Am I getting better at outlining the chord changes? And can I still keep time throughout the form, right? That's something that a lot of beginners I notice struggle with is I'm losing the, the form. I'm, I'm unable to, to keep my place. And the best way to start practicing that is just to start practicing that by yourself, right? Um, even if you're doing it very, you're playing through the song very slowly, right? And so I would do a lot of that because that's only been something, honestly, within the last four years or so where I've really started to go like, you know, I'm just going to try improvising by myself and keeping my keeping through the tune, right? And that's, you'd think like, oh, a professional jazz musician like you, Brent, you must have been doing this for years. And honestly, sure, but 
four, like the last four years, I would say, has been more like, hey, I actually feel really good about playing by myself for the most part, right? Um, so I would definitely be focusing on doing that to build that internal time and that feeling of rhythm because that is really a secret sauce to jazz and jazz improvisation that a lot of beginners are missing. And so I kind of want to get that going right out of the gate. Okay, last but not least, number seven. Number seven. If possible, I'd be playing out live once a week, if possible, right? Um, again, that's like kind of an ideal. And especially for some of you listening right now who are like, uh, Brent, I, don't, I live in like a rural area. There's nowhere for me to play out live. I, I, I totally understand that. But the fact of the matter is, and you know, this is something, it's not something that I did not do. I actually was very fortunate to like have a gig every week, have a jam session to go to every week. Like when I really got into studying jazz, I had that all available to me. Then I went to college for jazz, so I had just unlimited amounts, not unlimited amounts, but lots of other students to jam with constantly. I was picking up gigs, and there was public jam sessions I was going to. Like There was just a lot of it available to me. And the reason I say that if I were to go back, I would make sure that I still did that is because being able to play out it exposes a lot. It exposes a lot of your weaknesses. It helps you know whether you truly know something or not. It helps you get over the nerves, which are a huge, huge stumbling block for a lot of people, right? When they practice all day in their practice room and they get good at something, but then all of a sudden push comes to shove and they can't do it, right? They just, they just, they lose it, right? So you're getting exposed to that. You're also getting exposed to like actually using the repertoire you're learning, right? So if you learn a jazz standard, but it's only for the practice room, um, you know, eventually it, that kind of fades away a little bit or, you know, it doesn't, honestly, the application isn't there as much. So it kind of it gets demotivating to continue going on with it. So even just having one other person to play live with, like it doesn't have to be a, a formal gig or a formal jam session even, uh, like a public jam session. It can just be having one other person to to play with at least once a week and, and use that repertoire you've been learning. That to me is hugely important and a lot of the best lessons come from that, right? It's not found always in the practice room or the recording that you're learning. It's out there when you're actually doing the thing, right? So those are all seven things that I would do if I were starting over today to learn jazz. And if I started doing all this stuff, I think that I would be even better than I am now, or at least I would have be having, I would have had a bit of a better time going throughout it instead of kind of hitting into a lot of roadblocks, um, kind of working my way through the maze, but not always having a clear path. And for me, I think this would be, uh, would have made things way more simplified and more efficient. All right, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Do appreciate it. Hope you found something valuable out today. Hope that you can apply some of this knowledge uh, from how I would go back and start things over to your own practicing today to hopefully, hopefully reach your jazz goals quicker. And like we said at the very, very, very beginning of the show today, if you're interested in joining our LJS Inner Circle membership, 
we can certainly help you get to your goals quicker and help you set up those kinds of frameworks. For example, we do learn one new jazz standard a month in our LJS Inner Circle membership. And it's a great way to do this along with thousands of other musicians who are all like-minded and wanting to do it together with you and practice and have a good time. And uh, we just kind of make it easy, give you all the resources you need. So ljsinnercircle.com. That's where you can learn more about the membership and then sign up. We'd love to have you. So ljsinnercircle.com. All right, we're going to be coming out with another great episode of the podcast very soon. So make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll see you back then. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.